welcome to Staying with the Trouble. I'm Bishop James Jones, and in this podcast series, I'll be focusing on issues of poverty and exclusion in the city of Leeds with some of the people who are staying with those troubles. In this final episode, I'm talking with the Reverend Catherine Fitzsimmons, Anglican priest of the parishes of Gipton and Oakwood. She tells me how the two parishes reflect the gap between rich and poor in the city as a whole, and the disconnect she sees between decision-makers at the centre and communities on the edge. Catherine, the world is changing globally and locally. What are the issues, what are the troubles that you personally encounter both in your work um, and, and personally? I guess the best general description for that is the inequalities between, um, between individuals, between communities, between churches. And inequalities, um, it's sort of very broad at one level, but you see it in education, you see it in access to food, you see it in access to transport, you see it in health. And I see most of those most days. And what in you attracts you to working where there is such inequality? I think that goes back a, a, a long way before I even had the language of inequality. Um, I realised that there were insiders and outsiders. I started working in social responsibility and realised that there were people who, who just um, were left out um, and as I've worked alongside that over the years, it's just become more and more important, both at a personal level and at a political level, to do what I can, I hope not in a naive way, but to to actually challenge some of those inequalities because I don't see that as what God's kingdom's about. And do you see those inequalities actually in your own parish? Yes, so um, I have two parishes. Um, so between the two parishes, I walk a mile between the two churches. And I guess a really good example of the, of the inequalities between the two parishes is that at the church in the suburb, suburban area up in Roundhay, when we talk about food, we're inviting the congregation to bring cakes for the, um, when the church school comes in so that the parents can receive really good hospitality. And when we talk about food at Epiphany, we're asking people to bring tins for food bank. And there's a mile between the two churches. And do you ever feel like taking the cake tins from the one parish to the other? I've learned to be a little bit more gracious over the years. <laughs> and what I want is cake tins for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued to know just what it does to you internally, emotionally, when you go from one parish to the other, uh, does it depress you? Does it make you defiant? I mean, what's, what's your emotional and spiritual response to, to that inequality? So I guess when I was younger, because I've been doing this stuff for 30 years, I just used to get angry with the rich people. That isn't a particularly effective strategy for change. Um, so 
what I try to do is introduce people to each other um, because too often we don't know each other's stories. Too often there is prejudice on both sides. So I try to be gracious um, and encourage people, certainly at the more wealthy church, to look at their lifestyles and see how they can help, where they can influence change, where they can offer practical um, help. And also um, try to... There's a lot of resentment amongst those who live in, in the poorer areas. Resentment's pretty destructive emotion. So how do people who live in the poorer areas also see the others as people? When I was in Liverpool... I was aware that for all the church's problems and weaknesses, it's one of the few institutions where the rich and the poor still have direct contact with each other. Yeah. And and what I'm hearing you say is that as a priest of a parish where there are two churches of very different backgrounds, that's one of the very few places where the two will connect with each other. Yeah. And and I wonder if you've got any examples of where the one has influenced the other. Did, did, did you see yeah, that? Yeah, actually. So, so I brought the two churches together. I was the first um, incumbent of both of them. Um, they're very different in tradition as well as um, social context. So um, Epiphany's Anglo-Catholic-ish. Um, Oakwood is a Anglican Methodist, so two denominations working together. I agreed that we weren't going to try to do anything about worship, <laughs> but we would just see where things went. There's an initiative in, started in Leeds called From the West Yorkshire Destitute Asylum Seeker Network. We were wanting to offer a night shelter over the winter months for those who were destitute. Oakwood, the Anglican Methodist Church, had the volunteers. Epiphany had the space. So I brought my energy into being one of the churches that offered hospitality in Epiphany Church Hall in the first year of the Night Shelter Initiative. And that was a really good way of bringing people together because there were volunteers from, from Epiphany. Getting people to cross this the, the A58 into Gipton because that's quite a big barrier just for some people crossing over, coming into a different church, realising that people were people and realising that actually by looking out to support these asylum seekers who had, a, had, had nothing, that actually we could join together in doing that. So it was very much in that social justice initiative for asylum seekers that we started coming together. And did you find any resistance in either of the churches or any resistance from the local community that you were engaging in this way? Um, I suspect the local community didn't really know we were doing it because it was we didn't make it hugely public for security reasons. Yes, there was, there was some resistance up at Oakwood. Should we be doing this? Is it safe? Epiphany people are used to engaging with the wider community, so they're less fearful about having having people come in because they're, they're used to it. Stuff happens, but you deal with it. And was there any moment when anybody said, well, I wasn't sure about this, but... Yeah, so the end of the story is that prior to lockdown, Oakwood Church decided that it was going to host 
the um, night shelter and did so for one year um, before lockdown, which it would not have countenanced um, because it's a very nice church building that's all very well looked after and there's all of the people use it. So that was a really powerful story, I think, of how coming into Epiphany, seeing what could happen, realising that they had so many more resources that actually they could use them too and that that was a good thing to do. I know you had a really strong sense of calling uh, as a deacon uh, in, in, in the church and you served as a deacon for a long period of time. Oh. I gather because you had your sights fixed on the people beyond the walls of the church. Can you explain that to me? So way back in 1987, as I was doing my ordination training, I discovered this language of diaconate, which was uh, about serving the wider community. And that seemed to me to be the right way to go. I'm absolutely in favour of the ordination of women to the priesthood and the episcopate and always have been. But this discovery of the diaconate as a way that shared the gospel, shared the love of God, often in practical action outside of the walls of the church, was what I was called to do. It, you know, sometimes you just know stuff, and that was that was the calling. And how did you just know that? I'm intrigued to know how a vocation forms in somebody's mind and heart. So I was in Harrogate. Um, and Harrogate Church, I realise now, was quite particular and quite inward-looking. And I think the diaconate gave me, gave me a language to look outside which actually aligned with, with, with the church. They, they sort of couldn't argue with me. The theology of the diaconate fitted with the things I, I was, felt I was being called to do initially. That simply started as a toddler group for people who didn't go to church. And apparently that was radical in Harrogate. And so it went on from there. I think 25% of all the toddler and playgroups in this country take place in church halls. It's the most overlooked dimension of mission in the Church of yeah. England. Yeah. You then um, moved on to become urban officer for the Diocese of Ripon and Leeds, yeah. as it was then. And uh, many people wouldn't know what on earth an urban officer was, so perhaps you can tell me. Yeah, to be honest, I don't think the diocese knew what an urban officer mm. was. It was to put in, a, in an officer of the diocese um, engagement with the churches in Leeds, mostly, that lived with deprivation. It, it, was, it was a way of trying to find additional resources for the, the churches in Leeds in the most deprived areas. I tried really hard to work alongside the churches, so I was expected to, to produce a strategy, but I went and talked to people to find out what it was that they wanted to do. I was very clear that I wasn't about finding m money for church roofs, but we could look at finding money for social action projects in their particular parish and it sort of didn't matter to me what they were one of the criteria i did want was that they were working with someone else so i feel quite strongly that the church needs to work in partnership in these mission act, act, um, things in the community partly because it, it gives more sustainability in the long run and in fact <laughs> it, it just, was 
One of the principal recommendations of the Faith and the City report back in the 1980s that said that if we're looking to regenerate the cities, then it cannot be done in any other way except by being in partnership with other agencies. But presumably that took you into a formal relationship with the city council? Yeah. So through that, because I was working with parishes across the city, um, I got to know quite a lot of um, third sector and charitable organisations and also the local authority. It was the time in Leeds when the funding stream was the SRB5, Social Regeneration Mm. Budget 5. And there was money floating around to to access. And because... I was working across the, across the city with lots of different different people. I think the the local authority realised this was quite a good thing, and invited me to be on different committees, which was very exciting. Well, we've gone down a similar path because I was very involved in the single regeneration bids in Hull, and then when I got to <laughs> Liverpool, I was involved in the New Deal for Communities. And uh, the strategy in both really was how do you engage the business community and also the local community. And with the New Deal for Communities, um, it was about empowering the local people to take responsibility for shaping the future. But all of the time, whether it was local government or national government, um, we were dealing with people with power. Mm. And, And I wonder if you've any advice out of your own experience about how the church relates to people in power when they are so concerned for the welfare of the people in their parishes? So one of the things I learnt about working with the local authority in various guises was that they were people of goodwill. They weren't the, the tyrants that they're often perceived to be at grassroots level. But that there there is a... A, a disjuncture between between the two, between the, the the aspirations, the hopes, the amount of effort that's put into bringing to trying to bring this change about, and the reality on the ground, and I think that's partly due to a lack of, I don't know whether it's imagination or experience of what it's really like. So one of the things I worked with was something called poverty truce. Um, where we tried to bring those people who had power alongside people who knew what it was like and didn't feel they had any power so that they could get to know each other and hopefully hear the barriers that the people on the ground were experiencing to these grand plans that on paper should have worked but didn't (laughs) I'd like to test an idea with you, which is that the church isn't very good at relating with people with power because the church's theology has glorified the idea of powerlessness and identifying with the powerless. What's your own view of working with people with power? I think we underestimate our power. Um, I think it's, it's... I don't like it, certainly when the church says it's powerless. There are individuals who have little power. I suppose the language I used was power and influence. Um, I think we have a phenomenal amount of influence. We, We too often go in simply wanting people to fit our agenda rather than trying to identify the overlaps of agenda. 
so where we're working for the common good, how do we how do we identify that? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you that claiming powerlessness is is a false premise. We have more power both as individuals and corporately than 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 we realize and too often we're afraid to take that up because it brings conflict. You are in effect a poacher turned gamekeeper turned poacher. I mean you started off at the parish yeah. and you then worked as urban officer. Yeah. You had these relationships with people with power uh, and now you're back in the parish and I wonder do you now perceive those city structures differently mm. now that day by day you are you know side by side with people wrestling with life's issues it's very interesting moving into an ls9 postcode so when I said to people that I was I was going to, to going to Gipton both in the church and neighbours who had nothing to go to church were, were quite horrified. Gipton in the nineties um, and early two thousands had a dreadful reputation for crime, for poverty. It's part of a ward, Gipton and Hare Hills, which is the poorest ward in the in the city. And why would anybody choose to go and work alongside um, and, and live and live there. I think it was the living there that that sort of shocked people. I'm perfectly safe in Gibton. <laughs> I have no fears for my my safety. It's more things like the drug dealing that goes on outside the vicarage, the lack of 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 transport. I cannot get a bus from one church to the other because the bus routes don't work that way. Big issue in Leeds transport. Gipton has this sort of reputation of being a dump. It was built as Garden City. Virtually all the houses have gardens, but, but there's, there's not a lot else there. There isn't a centre, and it hasn't got the... Um, I don't know what the word is, the sexy appeal of going to Hare Hills. Hare Hills is a bit edgy and exciting. How do we go about... Uh, reconnecting the centre with those who, as it were, uh, live on the circumference. So there's a project called going on called the Fernville uh, Wellbeing Centre. It was a swimming pool. It's going to turn into a wellbeing centre. And that's almost a prime example of how um, the local authority are trying really, really hard to consult... <laughs> but missing the mark. Um, so we had somebody from City Development come to speak with a group of us who meet as the Gipton Neighbourhood Improvement Partnership. So it's a number of local agencies um, that, that come together. Um, and the consultation, we've, got all, we've been given all the plans, um, and there's a consultation that's happening this next fortnight <laughs> about the impact on the on the local community now people are quite happy to have a, a new well-being center hey ho but things like the impact on the local economy it's they're, they're talking about putting a big cafe in they haven't actually talked to the little cafe which is over the road because it didn't occur to them bless them they, they were looking at what made a good well-being center for wider east leeds but based in gipton so it's those things 
that are quite difficult. We had a very stormy meeting with this uh, guy from City Development who has come back to talk to each of us. And yeah, there will be benefits for the local community, but they're very much after, after effects rather than thinking about it before be involving people earlier on. I was talking to the chief executive of Leeds City Council and I was mentioning um, an image that was very strong in my own mind when I was in Hull and, and Liverpool. Uh, I'm a diabetic. Uh, it's urban diabetes. So that the money and the wealth circulates around the heart of the city, prestigious mm. buildings and museums or yeah. concert halls. And it fails to reach the outer estates, which are left to uh, atrophy and, and, and die. And the challenge, it seems to me, for the centre and also for people like yourself who are a voice on the mm. circumference is to find those valves that you can open so yeah. that the wealth, the blood reaches those yeah. parts of the body which are hitherto neglected. Yeah. So transport in Leeds is is, is an issue. The, 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 there's, there's been lots of um, work done by Leeds citizens trying to get to, to, to understand how you don't have to go into the centre to go anywhere else. It's easy to get into the centre of Leeds. It's impossible to get across Leeds. And I think they've, they've looked at the well-being. With, with, so Gipton has really poor health um, problems. They, they've got land there. I understand why it's there. But they haven't, don't appear to have looked at how people are going to get there. So it's fine if you've got a car as we move towards um, zero carbon. But the public transport, it's, that doesn't appear to be looked at at all. And it's, they're the valves, I think. Right. Right. Yeah. So... Each of the small organisations, and I include the church in that, are being offered access to the For Good Fund, um, which is great uh, at one level, but it's not strategic. It's it's just being... It feels a bit like being fobbed off. Oh, we'll, we'll do this for you, um, and then you can't really moan. In the way that local government has evolved, faith communities have... Uh, responded quite positively to this new world of the council being the purchaser and the faith groups being a provider of particular services for young people or for old people or food banks or um, uh, groups for the elderly in our community. Um, do you see that in a positive light or are there any problems with that construction of our society? I think if we take, if, if, we be, if the church becomes too much provider, we lose the opportunity to be prophetic. So I tend not to take very much money from the council. Um, biting the hand that feeds you doesn't usually go down very well. It's quite hard, I think, to engage sometimes with the city from an Anglican perspective, and this is Leeds in particular rather than, than, than other places. It's quite hard because it's a non-conformist and Roman Catholic city. Um, and I think maybe 
the that the, there's a strong resistance about the about engaging with the with the Church of England. Um, I think there's also fear, historic fear of engaging with with faith groups because of the misuse of money. Sometimes, I sometimes think the Church of England just thinks it should should be there, just because because we are, and that isn't my experience. Um, we we need to earn our place but i don't know that earning the place is simply by service provision because that's that's a very different sort of relationship isn't it um and how we hold the the speaking into the city and being listened to because it's fine to speak quite a lot of the time we're just not listened to um there's a number of organizations that try to speak but are they heard I think the rules have changed. The ground rules have changed for 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 what, how we how we inhabit that space, and I I don't know what the answer is. My brain's but gone. Doesn't the Church of England, in the panoply of different denominations, uh, occupy a special place, in that? the theology of the Church of England, its understanding of mission, is that it's there not just for the gathered community, but it's there for everybody. So, for example, if somebody uh, rings you up and says, oh, could you go and visit so-and-so-and-so, they're dying, uh, you don't say, uh, oh, but do they come to church? You simply say, oh, where do they live? And if they live within your parish boundary, within that corner of God's kingdom, you go because you are pastor and priest, not just to the Christians, but to everybody that lives within that corner of God's kingdom. Yes, I think that the the notion that the Church of England is there for everybody, I think, is true at parish level. I don't think that gives them the right to speak into the the to be present in the power systems. But why not? Because if it's true of a parish priest, why is it not true also of a bishop who should, in Anglican ecclesiology, be both a civic leader as well as a religious leader? I think that's probably contested space in institutional terms. And it's where the Church of England, at that sort of national level, thinks its own under its self-understanding doesn't bear a lot of relation to the understanding of the rest of the world, <laughs> or the city, if you like. I think that understanding is true, or can still be true, I think fewer people outside the church ring us up for visits than we like to imagine. But that sense of being there because we're the Church of England, I think we've moved on from that. Now, you're doing all that you're doing as a parish priest. and In other words, you're not just a social activist. No. Um, you are a spiritual and social activist. Yeah. And I wonder what it is that informs your understanding of the part of the world in which you're in, the the things that you are called to, to do and to be. So I think I would describe myself very much as having a kingdom theology, um, and that God is God is present in the whole of God's kingdom. 
that everyone is made in God's image and we are called to honour that image in everyone. I've uh, been very influenced, I guess, over the years by the Old Testament prophets, the calls for, for justice, for um, those who have to not keep it to themselves but to share with others. William Temple, who wrote the book on yeah. social order and was a great influence with the welfare state, yeah. um, he, he saw the church, in effect, seasoning society yeah. with its aspiration for justice and yeah. compassion. And, and now we have a city, a city, Leeds, that calls itself Compassionate City and indeed gives awards to people where they have proved to be compassionate agents within mm. the compassionate city. Um, does that resonate with you? I probably got a bit cynical about that, um, which doesn't mean to say that those awards for those individuals who, who, who do it, that they're not doing good things. It's a bit... So the, the picture that comes to mind is that's the icing on the cake, but the cake's a bit rubbish. <laughs> Giving the awards is one thing, but it would be really good to have, going back to you know, my knowledge of cake right at the beginning, good cake, if we had good cake for everybody, then putting the icing on the top would be great. So what's missing in the cake? In the cake. What's missing in the cake? Is it the ingredients or is it the way the cake has been made, baked? Mm -hmm. Probably the way the cake has been made, because Leeds, Leeds is a wealthy city. I mean, um, when I started working here, Leeds, Leeds was known as a two-speed city. Um, there was the, the great wealth of the city centre, which might have changed a bit now, and the deep poverty. So John Battle, whenever he talks about Leeds, talks about Leeds coming out as average in any statistics. But it's not average. It's really wealthy and really rich which just makes it look average when you look at it from the outside. So I guess it's how the ingredients are mixed. So it's uh, an urban diabetic. It's <laughs> trapping the wealth in yeah. the centre and, and not letting it out. Yeah. Have you ever felt uncomfortable when you've challenged the city in terms of its policies and practices? So I was on something called the Leeds Initiative um, some time ago when um, we were looking at whether about super casinos and whether a super casino should come to Leeds. Um, and I felt very strongly that a super casino was wrong, particularly as they were talking about placing it in one of the most deprived areas on the basis that it would bring jobs. And I think one of the things William Temple said was, yeah, bringing jobs is important, but let's have them as good jobs rather than rubbish jobs. So I did challenge the um, Leeds Initiative on that um, and was joined by the union representative on the Leeds Initiative. We managed to get a, um, a review into the whole super casino thing. Ultimately, the government wiped the money, so it didn't happen. We have now got a big casino in the city centre. Fair enough, if people want to go and gamble. I prefer chocolate. But I was really interested to read um, or to hear on the radio that actually now the NHS 
is not taking money from the casinos for the gambling projects. So I guess I feel a little bit told you so-ish towards the, little, <laughs> the local authority because I was saying that in the in, in the um, early 2000s and sort of being proved right mm. that actually it's not good it's not good for people um, so which is probably not very Christian to just think told you so is it <laughs> um, 2022 we're already well into it what are the issues now that are going to get bigger um, for you uh, for your parish for the city so we run a food bank at Epiphany and our numbers are increasing by the week. Uh, it's part of the Trussell Trust Food Bank, so it's arguably referrals from different organisations. I'm looking at whether we can actually, whether we've got the capacity to do any more than we're currently doing. We are part, it's part of a thing across the whole city, so it's not just us, but but we do two hours a week. Um, and at that, um, we also have something called Money Buddies, which is a charity that tries to help people access the money they're allowed and helps them with, with debt. Uh, they started back with us in January. They are already overwhelmed in the number of people who are coming for food parcels and saying, yes, we want to talk to you. So I just see the, you know, as, as with the national picture, that the, the food and the energy... Um, issues are, are going to be are going to be enormous. We're beginning to see, and this saddens me, more things like fly tipping and low-level aggravation from young people. And I'm not a sociologist, but I think we'd in Gipton we'd moved away from quite a lot of that. So we seem to be going back to some of the signs that say life for those in the poorest areas is going to get worse again as people express their discontent in these quite low-level things. We're not having riots or anything, but that's beginning to come back. And are you staying where you are? I am until I retire. Right. And I'm older than I look. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and what keeps you going? Um, I was saying to somebody the other day, you might not want to put this in. Basically, life can be crap, but God is faithful. Um, I think I've got probably what would be called a robust spirituality. Um, what does that mean? It means I'm quite good at shouting at God. Um, <laughs> but so, so I think over the last few years, the Psalms have become so much more important. Uh, I think when I was younger... I didn't appreciate the Psalms, but that sense of the injustice, the anger at what we see, but that in there God, God is present. And I suppose I've always had an incarnational theology, the fact I'm a Christian because Jesus, God in Jesus became human. That's what is distinctive for me, that embracing of humanity. And so... I too, in my own little way, want to embrace humanity. I love the Psalms and the other day one verse leapt out at me saying, truth and justice are the work of his hands. Catherine Fitzsimmons, thank you very much indeed. 
Thank you. It's been good to talk to you. These interviews are brought to you by the William Temple Foundation and Leeds Church Institute and were recorded at Chapel FM in Seacroft. 